Hold on to me as we go As we roll down this unfamiliar road Welcome to Access College on KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles, a new radio show devoted to helping students and families get better information about college admissions and better access to higher education. I'm your host, Jenny Umhofer. This week, we're continuing our two-part series on how to pay for college as part of our six-part series on the college admissions process. Today, we'll be focusing on solutions to the rising costs of college, how to save for college, And we'll hear from a scholarship expert and publisher of one of the nation's leading scholarship search engines. When I'm not helping families and students get into college, I'm raising my two young daughters, Kennedy and Emerson. College is more than a dozen years away for them, but still, I worry. What is college going to cost when their time comes? What is college even going to look like a decade from now? How should we save? What about scholarships and grants? Today on Access College, we get a head start on these questions in our college conversation. There's an irony at work in higher education today. On the one hand, college has never cost more. On the other hand, college courses have never been more available. These days, hundreds and hundreds of university lectures on everything from quantum physics to Shakespeare are just a click away on YouTube or iTunes. Access to college is both so close and yet so far. It's getting closer thanks to a phenomenon called Massive Open Online Courses, or MOOCs, and they're a big deal. MOOCs are online courses with interactive features that are usually offered freely and are available to anyone with an internet connection. Time magazine is called MOOCs, the Ivy League for the masses, and the New York Times declared 2012 the year of the MOOC. When I took to the streets of Pasadena to ask about the cost of college recently, One gentleman had this to say about the move toward MOOCs. I think that the massively online open courses are going to become a much more viable option for a lot of people. Like I come from, I'm I'm in technology, I'm a systems engineer, and like a lot of the people in my field are self-educated like myself. Like I went, I also went to college, but more so because like it was the thing to do, you know, like I came from a, a, like a good place. Like I went to a good high school, I got like fairly good grades and like it was the thing to do. So I did it. But like in college, like I... I knew I was going to be in technology, so I took English classes. I got an English major, and my job has absolutely nothing to do with my college diploma. In fact, like my college diploma literally is just like a stamp of approval, like where it's just like, okay, you did it. Now, what's next? And um, so many of the people in my fields go online. They go to Coursera, or um, a lot of the, like Stanford has uh, edX is a good one. Like they, there's just so much, so many courses available. And like I think actually. Carnegie Mellon is doing um, an online degree, like an online master's in IT with um, Georgia Tech. Uh, I, I don't really remember the details, but like, just I, I just think that like um, it's so interesting to see like the rising cost of undergrad in parallel with like this glut of free courseware that's available that is like so good and um, really just so effective at, at conveying good information and I guess creating capable workers in like the technology workforce and I and I can only see that coming even more um, widespread with like things like Khan Academy which approach like more more subject matter like physics mathematics and uh, I actually took like a history course on iTunes University just because I was trying to make my commute a little bit more tolerable. MOOCs are still in their infancy but there's no question that the open availability of hundreds of free Ivy League courses will have an impact on the cost of higher education.
Is the future of college a $100,000 a year tuition or a no-cost online lecture series? It's very hard to know. So maybe the best long-term strategy to the cost of college is a wait-and-see approach. In the short term, you can learn more about MOOCs at Coursera.com, KhanAcademy.com, and edX.com. Let me go. I don't want to be your hero. I recently had a roundtable conversation about strategies for paying for college among a group of high school students. We have Stephanie, a senior from Carson High School Medical Magnet, Lucas, a senior from Woodrow Wilson High School, and Charlie, a recent graduate of South Pasadena High School who is attending Boston University this fall. Here's what they had to say. I always think about FAFSA. I think about different opportunities that are out there. There's scholarships. There's many scholarships. The only thing is that we have to go out there and look for them. Sometimes I think, am I supposed supposed to get a job to pay for all my college fees, or should I not because I won't enjoy my college life? It's nerve-wracking at times because we think that we're not going to have enough money to pay. We're not going to have enough to, you know, afford everything. But I think there's there's enough things out there that are going to help us as students, and we just have to do the work looking for them out there. It's exactly like you said. There's enough out there to get you through and scrape by paying for it with, you know, minimal debt, which is still ridiculously to be in debt to get an education. But there's work studies, there's federal loans, private loans, there's scholarships, there's grants. But, you know, the big thing is you don't know what's going to cost until you get that aid package in April. It's definitely stressful, just like Lucas said, getting the the letter yes in the mail is is half the battle. You know, you really have to wait those next few days to get to get the aid package. Uh, I really have to give it to my parents on this one. They they worked with a financial company just to help them fill out the FAFSA and CSS forms. I certainly don't have the means to afford any four year at full price. So it was it was net for me to go to college. It would have been necessary to get a lot of aid and I, I BU was extremely generous in their aid package for me and when applications uh, within my community for scholarships started popping up I just applied to every single one and I ended up getting a $10,000 scholarship mm-hmm. through the school so that was absolutely incredible. I did my uh, promissory note the other day for uh, you know signing that I agree to pay these loans when I graduate and it's it's kind of like wow this is this is this is my life. Secrets from our American dreams. Baby needs some protection. But I'm a kid like everyone else. Really have to say I feel blessed because it, it all worked out so well for me in the end and you know without the scholarship money, without the aid money from the school, without um, my parents, you know, being tied with their money, there's there's no way that I would be able to go to to college. So I just feel incredibly grateful. Yeah, my parents actually told me, you know, next summer you should probably get a job, which means <laughs> you're going to get a job. And they said that will be just for me paying for personal expenses mm-hmm. and definitely textbooks because yep. those are crazy expensive. Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit of room and board if I'm, you know, in the year after I can decide to go share an apartment with someone. But also we're really like, counting on outside scholarships. My dad's been doing research on that since my end of my sophomore year, but he hasn't done a whole lot of like finding because he's been researching weird things like uh, Welsh scholarships or Italian scholarships, which is <laughs> interesting, very specific. But it's cool, and I'm glad he's helping out. With my family, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> you know, I try to talk to them, and 
they think that every, all the money I can receive from scholarships, I have to pay back. So you really have to, it's important to sit down with your parents and explain to them, you know, especially if they haven't went to the, through that process. You have to explain, um, this is a scholarship, this is a grant, this is a loan. And you have to, you have to let them know that there's things out there. Um, like my grandpa, he's actually helping me. Like Lucas said, they, he's helping me. He's like, he's going through through scholarships that I can apply to. He's like, it's important for you to get money because we're not going to be able to pay for all of this. Right. And at points, they get scared. They're like, are you going to work? I'm like, I, I'm i thinking about it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty nervous about it, but I think I can get through it. Everyone deserves a chance to I was actually watching a movie called Liberal Arts the other day. I don't know if you've heard of it. It takes place at Kenyon College. And uh, something that, that the main character said really, really stood out to me. Um, he said, there's never going to be another time in your life where you can freely talk about, um, you know, ideas and concepts and not get punched in the face for it. <laughs> so um, that's, for me, that's that's why college is worth it, because it, it fosters an environment where, you know, talking about art and literature and poetry and things that, you know, maybe aren't as, like, um, you know, smart to talk about in a, in a fast-paced world, you, you're allowed to do that. And I think that's that's incredible. And the whole experience of being on your own for the first time and being able to kind of come into your own and, and form your own opinions and create new experiences, self-growth really is, is why college is so important. And then, you know, bringing it back to at the end of the day, for me, getting this education is so hopefully someday I can, I can give it back to, to the world in some in some form or another. It's about the experience, you know, you get that wonderful experience of finding yourself, who you are, what you like, what you don't like to do, you know, you're not really, not really controlled by your parents, you know, you get to have your own freedom of speech, your, your own mind, you get to think and collaborate whatever you, whatever you want. And you also, you know, nowadays a high school diploma is not enough, you know, you need that college degree sometimes because that's what's going to give you a living, you know, not only is going to give you experience, but it's going to help you go, go um, and live, you know, live your life. It's not enough sometimes when you want to apply for a job. They're like, okay, we don't want just a high school diploma here. You know, you have to have some sort of college degree. On top of, you know, the academic and the free thinking, you know, part of college, there's also the huge social part of it, you know. <laughs> You're going to be in a freshman dorm with your doors open the first day and <laughs> totally alone thinking, oh, gosh, am I going to like my roommate? Or am I going to like my dorm mates, you know? <laughs> and those bonds are going to last for life pretty much. And that's a huge thing I really look forward to, and I want to experience that. So, on you know, while you might be learning, and I love learning, obviously, because I want to go to college. <laughs> but there's also I love meeting new people and becoming friends with those new people. So if I get to go to school with... 4,000, 8,000 new faces, like, cool, that's great. And there's just so many new things to do in college because it's a struggle because you're out there on your own now. Your parents aren't there to tell you, okay, no, you don't have that money, don't spend it, <laughs> or wake up, you got to go to class. It's you, your determination is what's going to get you out of bed at 8 in the morning to go to that class <laughs> or be on time for an interview for an internship or whatever you need. So it's all about maturing but also having fun because you meet new people. That was our student roundtable featuring Charlie, Lucas, and Stephanie talking about how they're approaching the issue of paying for college. Of course, paying for college is easier if you have a scholarship. 
And so I sat down with someone who's an expert in finding and getting scholarships for college. So today on Access College, we welcome Mark Kantrowitz to the show to talk about how to find scholarships and for those proactive parents, how to save money for college. Mark is a nationally recognized expert on student financial aid and paying for college, the publisher of two websites, fastweb.com and finaid.org, two of the leading online sources for unbiased and clear financial aid information. He is also the author of several best-selling books about college scholarships and financial aid and writes columns for The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and Huffington Post. Thank you for being with us today, Mark. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit more about your websites and what they actually offer? FastWeb is a free scholarship matching service. You complete a short profile of your background characteristics, and it matches this against a very large database of billions of dollars of scholarships. You then see the matches, which are the scholarships for which you're eligible. It's up to you to apply to these scholarships. FastWeb also publishes timely articles about financial aid and paying for college as um, both information and advice. The Finate site is more of an encyclopedic guide to uh, student financial aid information, advice, and tools. Both of these sites are free. They're supported by advertising. You know, I've also read your book, Secrets to Winning a Scholarship, and I found it to be really helpful. It gives quick universal tips on applying for and actually winning scholarships for college. One of the things I noticed that you covered in your book is that there are some common misconceptions about winning scholarships for college. Can you tell us about some of these misconceptions? One of them is that you can only win scholarships if you're a minority student. The reality is that Caucasian white students are 40% more likely to win scholarships than minority students. That's not done necessarily because of deliberate discrimination. Rather, people who sponsor scholarships tend to focus on activities and interests that are um, of interest to them, and that tends to resonate with people of the same race. I mean, you don't see very many minority students applying for rodeo scholarships, yet there are quite a few rodeo scholarships. Another misconception is that you have to be an all-A student to win scholarships, while you are more likely to win if, you're, uh, if you have a high GPA or high t- admissions test scores. It's not because the scholarships restrict themselves to people with a 4.0 GPA. And less than 10% of scholarships even ask for your GPA. Rather, it's the students who tend to do well and better academically are more likely to also win scholarships. And uh, most scholarships are awarded based on uh, academic merit, artistic talent, athletic talent. Very few are targeted based on financial need. The federal student aid is based on financial need. To win the to receive the Pell Grant, you have to generally be low income. Ninety-six percent of Pell Grant recipients have family income under fifty thousand dollars. But for merit-based aid, such as offered by most private scholarships, income is not even a consideration. So, and you need to file the FAFSA. You need to search for scholarships through free websites like FastWeb. And you need to save for college. And every dollar you save is a dollar less you're going to have to borrow. And every dollar you borrow will cost you about $2 by the time you repay the loan. A question I get from parents all the time is, kind of going back to the scholarship question, how does my son or daughter learn how to win more scholarships? How would you answer this question? Well, and There's a lot of good tips on how to increase your chances of winning scholarships. The first is you have to apply for a scholarship in order to have any chance of winning it. 
If you don't apply, you're not going to win. And oftentimes, the students don't want to apply to particular types of scholarships, scholarships that have smaller amounts or scholarships that involve writing essays. Now, with the smaller scholarships, I mean, a $500 scholarship is $500 less than you're going to have to borrow. And because fewer students apply to these scholarships, you're more likely to win. The money does add up, and it adds lines to your resume that may help you win bigger awards. And certainly, writing the essay for the smaller scholarship gives you practice for the larger scholarships. With regard to the scholarships that involve essays, for whatever reason, students just don't like applying to those scholarships. But I give a tip in the book about how to make it easier to write an essay. People speak at about 200 words a minute. They write or type at 30 to 60 words a minute. So the act of writing interferes with the flow of thought. Rather than trying to write the answer to the question, the essay question, answer it out loud while recording your answer and then later transcribe that answer. Another good tip is with any free scholarship matching service, there are going to be required questions and optional questions. Students who answer the optional questions are going to match, on average, about twice as many scholarships as students who answer just the required question. And, and that's because these optional questions are there to trigger the inclusion of specific awards. It, it's very important to apply for every scholarship for which you're eligible, because even among the most talented students, there's an element of luck, not just skill. Yeah, so several years ago, I was actually on the selection committee for the Coca-Cola scholarship, one of the major scholarships in the country. And I, I noticed there was a lot of emphasis on selecting candidates based on their leadership, not necessarily on grades and scores. Would you say that's true of other scholarships? Every scholarship is, one, is searching for the candidates who best match their criteria. And in some scholarships, like the Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation Awards, they're looking for leadership. Others are looking for students who have had an impact on others. Some are looking for the best athlete or the best math student or science student. When you're writing an essay about your leadership activities or an essay about any other topic, uh, first of all, try to tell a story because people are hardwired to listen to stories, and that makes it more memorable. The other aspect is to give specific examples Rather than saying, I'm a leader, talk about an example in which you demonstrated leadership and give details and talk about how you affected others and others affected you. Can you offer any tips on how to avoid being scammed when applying for scholarships? Well, if you have to pay money to get money, it's probably a scam because scholarships are about giving you money, not getting money from you. Let's say I'm a parent of a fabulous high school senior and my daughter just won an outside scholarship. How does that scholarship factor into her college's financial aid evaluation? If someone is receiving both need-based financial aid and then wins a private scholarship, that private scholarship reduces your financial need because it reduces the amount of money that you're going to need to pay for college. The colleges will then reduce the need-based financial aid package to compensate but they have flexibility in how they do this. They could reduce your loans, in which case you have a reduction in your net price, you have a financial gain, because you're replacing a loan with a scholarship. Some of them, though, about one-fifth of the colleges, will reduce their grants first. So you're replacing their grant with a private scholarship 
you have no net financial gain, your net price remains the same. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a problem. I mean, the scholarship providers don't like this kind of displacement either because they're trying to improve the chances of a student graduating and going on to more education by reducing their debt and work burden. And when a college replaces their grants, there's no net gain for the student. There's no improvement in the outcomes. Students aren't le- any more likely to graduate. So and there's a group of scholarship providers, um, the National Scholarship Providers Association, that is working on a report on uh, this kind of displacement, and that'll be coming out later this year. And They're going to make some policy recommendations on ways this should change. This is Jenny Umhofer on Access College. I'm speaking with Mark Kantrowitz about how colleges evaluate outside scholarships. Everyone knows how colleges become increasingly expensive. First off, do you see that trend in continuing? I don't see anything happening to stop it. I mean, the federal and state governments have been cutting their support of post-secondary education on a constant dollar per student basis. And the aggregate amount that they're spending may be going up, but when you look at it uh, in inflation-adjusted dollars per student, because enrollments are higher, it's been going down. And it's been going down for four decades. Unless there's a wake-up call on Capitol Hill and in the state legislatures, this is going to continue. And it's a very short-sighted approach. Someone with a bachelor's degree pays more than double the federal income tax of someone with just a high school diploma. So investing in post-secondary education is not just a private benefit for that individual student. It's a benefit to the nation as a whole. What are some of the best resources out there for parents who want to put some money away even a year out? I am a strong proponent of the 529 college savings plans. These are a tax-advantaged way of saving for college. The money earns income, interest, and dividends on a tax-deferred basis. And if you use the money for qualified higher education expenses like tuition, fees, room and board, textbooks, it's entirely tax-free. And there's a lot of research that shows that if you have a 529 plan for a child, the child is much more likely to go to college. Key things about 529 plans that you need to watch out for. One is the fees. You can invest in any state 529 plan, not just your own states. And the fees matter a lot because they eat into your return on investment. I recommend sticking with the direct sold version of a 529 plan. It's the, you're investing directly with the state as opposed to the advisor sold versions because the advisor sold versions typically have much higher fees. How how would I learn more about the 529s? Well, the FinAid site has uh, information on all the 529 plans. There are a couple of sites that track the performance of the individual plans. There's Joe Hurley's site, savingforcollege.com. There's also Morningstar.com that uh, track the performance. Generally speaking, most families should be in an age-based asset allocation, kind of like a target date fund for retirement, but instead it's, it becomes more and more conservative in investment as college approaches so that the risk of loss to principal is, re- is decreasing with each year. What would you say to a family that is really struggling to put money away for college? Well, it's important to get started, even if it's very little money that you can contribute. Some of these 529 plans allow you to contribute as little as $15 a month, so long as it's through an automatic transfer, which is the best way to do things, because then you don't have to think to save. And you quickly get used to not having that money in your checking account. 
and over time you can gradually increase the amount you're saving. So don't get sticker shock when you look at how much college is going to cost when your child matriculates, because that'll be shocking to anybody. Rather, focus on saving what you can, because every dollar you save is a dollar less you're going to have to borrow. I also recommend using one of these rebating programs like you promise, where you give them your pharmacy card number, your grocery card number, you register your credit cards with them so that they can see what you're buying. And some of the vendors, like, for example, Coca-Cola, give you a slight rebate on your purchases, and that money then gets sweeped into your 529 college savings plan. It's not a lot of money, though I know some people go overboard in trying to maximize the rebates, but even if you just set this up and forget about it, and it's going to save probably $100 a year or more, depending on your spending patterns, without your changing those spending patterns. And how does one find out about the You Promise? Well, and it's, uh, you go to youpromise.com, and you can register there. Well, thank you so much, Mark, the author of Secrets to Winning a Scholarship, and the man behind the great websites, fastweb.com and finaid.org. There's no doubt about it. College these days is expensive. But college isn't like buying a new car or going on a vacation. Those are just things you buy. College is an investment, an investment in your future. It is a foundation that you build on for the rest of your life. And like any investment, you have to be smart about it. Do your research, assess the risks and the rewards, and invest wisely. But is college a good investment? Despite the rising costs of college, the answer to that question is still a resounding yes. On average, college graduates earn more than high school graduates, a lot more. Studies of twins show that the twin with just one more year of education makes 12 to 16% more than their less educated sibling. And over a lifetime, that college bump adds up and pays off in a big way. But college isn't just about the money. It's about so much more than that. Going to college measurably increases life satisfaction. It broadens your mind and your horizons. It can change the way you think about the world. It's truly a transformative experience. And let's be honest, how many investments can do that for you? Tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. as we tackle another important piece of the college admissions puzzle, how to write a compelling college essay. I'd like to thank the people of Pasadena, our students, Stephanie, Lucas, and Charlie, Mark Kantrowitz, and Colin Chalmers, my amazing intern and editor. If you'd like to learn more about my work with students and families, please visit thecollege.org. That's T-H-E-C-O-L-L-E-D-G-E dot org. This is your host, Jenny Umhofer, on Access College on KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles. Until next time. <laughs>